Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Backyard Banter podcast. Um, I am still Matt Harmon, uh, who you know from NFL.com, uh, from Reception Perception, Football Guys, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, uh, I'll say right off the top that what we're doing with this podcast is not necessarily talking about football or breaking down players or fantasy projections or anything like that, but the goal that we are after with this project is to interview some of the most noticeable people in our industry and kind of figure out how they got to where they are, how they developed their, you know, their persona, their work, their style, and how they really got to where they are so that we can help some people out there in their pursuit of getting a place in this industry, whether it's a full-time job or just breaking through and starting to make some connections. So uh, today we have a great guest on, somebody that I've from time to know more and more the last couple of years. It's uh, JJ Zacharyson from Number Fire. JJ, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. It's going to be tough to, to follow up Bloom and Waldman, but I'll do what I can. I, I know. Those, those two are such good um, storytellers and have such unique personalities. I know my, my dad went back and watched both of the shows, and he was like, it's like, where the hell did you find those guys? And I was like, I well, actually, <laughs> I was actually, well, they found me, but uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're unique guys, but I, I have confidence that you can bring a unique perspective, which is why you're here. Episode three, you know, it's a big, episode three is big. I, I, the, the series, the, the, the trilogy, that sort of stuff. So yeah, well, <laughs> so we're, it's, it's good today. Um, well, really, I, I guess just first what I've asked everybody is um, how did you first come to love football or fantasy football how did that start to become a big part of your life yeah I mean so I grew up like bloom actually I I grew up in Pittsburgh uh born and raised whole life uh until uh, after college so I went to Pitt as well um and and really you know growing up in Pittsburgh is just a part of you I mean being not just football either being just a a sports fan it's, it's in your blood it's what you do so you know, my, my, I was fortunate too. Uh, from 2001 to 2010, my my dad actually had season tickets uh, for the Steelers. So I, I went to probably four or five games a year uh, at Heinz Field and, and just grew to love the game. And then when it came to fantasy, um, you know, I, I set up a league when I was pretty young, to be honest, uh, and uh, just was commissioner of that league and just like fell in love. You know, I was, I was the guy in that, that home fantasy league that took it way too seriously and was like writing crazy things in the, in the, in the online forum and like, just like getting really, really in depth with the, the player analysis side of things. Um, and it was just a natural thing for me to eventually get to a point where I wanted to let my voice be heard or try to attempt to get my voice heard. And that's kind of just how it all came about. Yeah, was there like a specific moment where you felt that you had, and maybe it's the late round quarterback stuff, which 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 we'll get into in depth, I'm sure. But was there like a moment, like one thing that that happened to you, where you're like, you know what, I just I gotta get this, like we like we say, I gotta get this takeoff, you know, like somebody, this is inspiring me to to put my thoughts out there, like you said. Yeah, I mean, there's, I would say, I would pinpoint two things. I remember there being this discussion with one of my buddies in one of the forums about Michael Turner and me just like crushing this guy in this argument, like going back and forth with my buddy and just like realizing that, like, I mean, I, I took way more time than he did to try to like make this argument. I, I was, I was arguing, I think, against Michael Turner and he was for him. But uh, I think that the big thing for me, and this is what motivated me to, um, you know, write the late round quarterback, which is what, spawned my my career in the industry if, if you will um i think it was just you know reading mainstream sites reading what was out there in the fantasy world and just realizing that i disagreed strongly with what this rhetoric was saying and and i you know as a result you know i was working um in in the advertising industry and i realized after working in the ad industry that i didn't want to just simply exist i didn't want to just like go through the motions and and go to work every day and maybe sometimes like my job, like it's not like my jobs were terrible. Um, but at the same time, I wanted more of a purpose and, um, you know, just, just putting my passion for football and fantasy football with what was going on in, in mainstream media and such, um, you know, that's what really spawned the ideation and, and the creation of the late round quarterback. Yeah. So let's just jump right into that then. Um, how, how did you how did you first like kind of start to see the inefficiencies of the quarterback position in fantasy and then 
what what like what were the like how did how did that get started? What was the origin story of the late round quarterback thing? Yeah, so you know, so actually, I'll, I'll even go prior to me working in the advertising field. It was when I was working, and I, you know, I was kind of in this funk, like didn't really like know what I wanted exactly out of my job and my career and stuff. I have like a graphic design background, and I, I was doing a little bit of stuff uh, with graphic actually, design. Let me, inter- let me let me interrupt you real quick right there, because I want to because I know Kevin Cole gave us both uh, some took shots at us on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I forgot I can curse on this podcast. You can curse on this podcast too. Oh, um, but, but he was giving a shit the other day, or yeah, the other day for us being both young. How old were you at this time? Just okay, like, so I started doing graphic design and stuff when I was like sixteen, maybe fifteen. Okay. So it was really early. And then I went to school, went to Pitt. Like I said, I got my degree in marketing because I didn't want to really just be design oriented. I wanted to have like kind of the business side too. And then I went and I moved to Cincinnati with my now wife. Um, and we lived in Cincinnati and when I was there, I was working at ad agencies and Procter and Gamble's in Cincinnati. So like they own ad agencies there. So it was just like, I was doing stuff for like Swiffer.com and like, just like really just like painful things when, when I look back and I'm like, what am I doing with my life kind of stuff. But, um, so at that point, you know, I was 22, just out of school. Um, and then I, after about a year of doing that, I had the realization, maybe, maybe a year and a half had just the general realization that like, this is not what I want to do for the next 40 years. You know, I I just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not getting enjoyment out of this. Like I'm good at my job and my peers respect me and that's great, but there's something more that I want to do. So at that time I actually picked, you know who Tim, you know, Tim Ferriss. Uh, Yeah. I've heard the name. He authored, he authored the four hour work week, which was like his big first book. He does like the four hour body and like all these other uh, all these other books now, but there was this book called the four hour work week. And the, the essentially the four hour work week was to show that you should try to automate as much as you can within your job and within, within your day job to do as basically as little as possible, but still growing and, and, and building yourself in a business or so on and so forth. So just automating things and like, like just, just doing things um, as efficiently as possible. So I read this book and while I was reading it, I was like, I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know. And, and one of the one of the things that he talks about is basically just making side income on things that like you're not even you're not even actively working on. And that's kind of where I didn't necessarily think, okay, look, I'm going to write the late round quarterback, and it's going to be like a lot. I'm going to I'm going to make a lot of money doing so. It was more this realization that like I want to I, like I know that I can be super efficient with my day job. And while doing that, I'm going to work on the side or while I'm at work, working on something that is going to build to something hopefully bigger rather than just going through the motions every day and then maybe doing something when I got home. I actually looked at what I did day to day at my actual job. I found efficiencies within that job. I cut what I was doing in half. So instead of working 40 hours a week, I was basically working 20 and still getting paid for 40. And then, I mean, hopefully my ex-employers aren't listening to this right now. But, and then, and then from, yeah, and then, and then from there, um, just started grinding later on quarterback. Like I literally just opened up a word document one day and, you know, I, I was reading some of the just fantasy advice online and there, it was, it was 2011 to 2012. So it was the year that like the 2011 year was the one that like shit went nuts. Right. With like Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, and everyone's drafting quarterbacks early. There was like five quarterbacks taken in the first two rounds ADP wise. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, nothing in fantasy, like the game of fantasy football itself is not changing. So we shouldn't be drastically changing ADP like this from one year to the next. Like it doesn't make any sense. So I just kind of outlined the book and then every day after work, I'd go home and just start kind of grinding out the book and then eventually published it in May of 2012. So that's really interesting because, you know, now I know both of us now, like football is our, is our, is our job, but I was, I was that way when I started out too, like I would I would work night I would work night shifts my first job out of college at, at this um it's kind of like a group home sort of thing for at risk youth and you know while I was there I would be you know watching film or charting games or writing while I was there so it's kind of interesting I forget you kind of f- learn to forget like that that was a, a thing that that we that we had to do but a lot of people are are that way with their with their situation right now. So how many hours do you think you were probably putting in like outside of work, which I know you said you optimized your time yeah. at work, but like, cause it, cause that's something that I think people when they're first getting started 
don't realize that they're going to have to take a lot of time. Like it, it takes, just, just takes up a lot of your personal time, like after work. And that sucks sometimes. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, I, I would go to work for the eight hours, you know, some of that time, you know, some days were crazy and I had to just be crazy at my job, but other days, if it was slow, like, like so many people at work are doing absolutely nothing. Right. right. right? Like they're, they're just, they're reading stuff online. They're doing nothing and they're not being productive. And the, the productivity side of things I think is really important because when you're doing nothing and you're just existing like that, um, I, I think that it, it messes with you mentally because you're not really going for any sort of goal. I mean, I know plenty of people, close friends, relatives that are in a day job that they just, they, they don't like. And to me, it's like, if, if you're in that situation, you've got to get yourself out of that situation ASAP or do something to get out of that situation. And it might suck at first, like the struggle at first might be horrible. And, and it was horrible because I would go to work every day. I'd come home and my, my girlfriend at the time, who again is my wife now, she, she probably had no idea what the hell I was doing in terms of writing this, this late round quarterback book. Like she, like it's a, this fantasy football book. The industry wasn't as big even then as it is now. Um, and, and there really was no reason for me to do this in her mind, but she was so supportive because she knew that it was something that like, got my mind off of doing the, the day job work. And it, it let me dream a little bit, you know, it let me just like think that, Hey, maybe, maybe something can, and, and plenty of people at the same time were, were, you know, curious as to what the hell I was doing. Cause it didn't really make any sense. But I mean, I'm telling you, you get, you know, I get home from work and I think it gets easier once you do more articles and once, once you do more analysis and stuff. But at the time, this is the first thing that I've ever done in terms of like real analysis at a fantasy, from a fantasy football standpoint. And so, um, you know, I would say coming home from work each night was an extra four hours working on this, this book ish. Uh, and, and that's just a grind that you work through all night and then she'd go to bed and I just try to work on it a little bit more. And then eventually it got to the point where I felt good to publish it. And then I went on Amazon and so on and published it. That's interesting. I want to kind of circle back on one of the things we were talking about there. Um, hang on. Sorry. I heard an echo for a second on my end, but I think I stopped now. That was professional. Um, (laughs) but so you talk about that, like, that relationship with, with your, you know, your significant other and how you're spending all this time. And like, obviously she's supportive of all that. And, and I don't want to pry too much. Like if I, if you don't want to answer, I don't no, care. Feel free, feel free not to, but like, did that ever, was that ever like taxing on your personal life? You know, whether that relationship or others, cause you know, that's like another thing that I think people don't realize is the risk that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it was necessarily like a, a taxing thing. I think that you need to, you know, I think you need to look at your day, right. And you need to, see all the dead times during your day, all the times where you're just completely unproductive, which you're going to be surprised if you lay it out, how often you're just not very productive. And that's where like the instant you fill those gaps, you know that the, that the majority of people are not filling those gaps with something productive. And if you're filling those gaps with something product with, with being productive, then you know, you're getting ahead of the game a little bit. So for me, it was more so like finding those times and maybe just slept less to be honest. Yeah. But, it was, That's definitely it, was, a thing. it was finding those times. Cause like, like, you know, she usually goes to bed early for instance, earlier than I do. So I have, I knew that I had every night, like an extra couple hours that she would be sleeping or whatever. And I could just like work on this, on this ebook and, and work on this, on this, uh, on, on what, whatever was going to come of it. But, you know, I, I think a lot of it is just like understand, you know, the same thing goes for like athletes, right? Like the best athletes are the ones who understand that the off season isn't this time to just like eat cheeseburgers and hang out. I mean, it's, it's a time like it's, it's a time where you just go beast mode and you work out and you get like crazy fit. And, and I think that's the mentality that you need to have with whatever you're doing. It doesn't even have to be uh, about getting into the fantasy football industry, but I, I think that it, it, it helps you both in terms of what your career path could become, but also mentally, because you're keeping your, your brain stimulated and you're keeping yourself going by doing things that you want to do and being productive throughout the entire day rather than just chunks of the day. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that is that definitely, definitely true. true. The, the, the lack, the of, lack production of production can be can startling. Be startling. Yeah, uh, it's, it's yeah, for sure. Frightening. Yeah, I remember when I uh, last... Well, I guess not last, not the season that just happened, the season before that when I was still part time and I had a day job and I was living about and I lived just outside D.C. I was kind of working near the D.C. area and 
I had like at first my first place I had like an hour you know over hour commute every day so mm-hmm. I get home I would get home at like you know I'd go at work and I, I didn't have a job where I could have like done any of this football stuff while I was at work right. um and so then I would I would go you know I drive to work by the time I got home it was like almost six o'clock it was like pretty much six o'clock every day mm-hmm. and then I, I was dating a girl at the time she, we were long distance and then uh, like not super long distance, but long enough that I didn't see her every day or whatever. And then by the time I wanted to commit like four hours to writing, also wanted to work out and eat dinner, you know, like at that point, I'm like, God, I have no, I have no time to, for one, my first thing was like, I have no time to talk to this girl. That's right. why the relationship ended up ending. But those sort of sacrifices. So I ended up just moving like five minutes close to like literally five minutes away from my day job just to cut that, that time out because you, the, the sacrifices that you have to make, like there are times when that just that has to happen. So yeah, I, I can, absolutely. I can, yeah, I can relate to to that sort of experience in a way. Um, but anyways, back to back to you. I don't want to talk about myself, but uh, back back to you uh, and the late round quarterback thing. So how did that like? So you started, you put it on Amazon. How did you start kind of getting that out there to people? How did you kind of you know market yourself, or how did you get it around? Yeah, so I mean, I had so like I said, I have like a graphic web design background and stuff, and I know a little code. So like when the ebook was out, you know, I didn't just make like a PDF and just say like, "Hey, read this." It was like I coded it to make sure that like no matter the device it was on, you know, it was scaling properly and stuff like that. And I think like those small things really helped it look and be more legit than me just like selling some PDF. Um, and, and I think that. You know, the other thing, like I put a price point on it of like five bucks or something. And I, I took a lot of flack from people saying like, just give it out and like get your name out there. But I think, I, you know, just this is just a rant, very, very random like tip. But like, I think putting a price point on it makes it more legitimate. Like that's that that is making it more legitimate. So yeah. that, that's just that that's that was the reason that I did put some sort of price point to it. But in terms of marketing, I mean, it was really just like, I, I think most people um, would probably agree who, you know, you or Bloom or even or Waldman, it's really just, just networking within the industry with it, with people. So if you look at Twitter, for instance, and it's not like Twitter followers really matter per se, you can generally see how big of a, of a following a writer might have. And what you do, what, what I did was I would just look at the landscape, the fantasy landscape, and I'd see someone who maybe had a thousand followers and I'd talk to that person and network with them because I didn't expect someone who like a Matthew Barry to just be like, yeah, I'll read your stuff. No problem. Uh, so I, you know, I would, I would look at smaller writers that were in the industry that were doing something in the, in the industry. And I would just ask them like, Hey, do you mind if I do like a guest post on your website or, or Hey, can I just talk to you about what's going on in the industry and stuff? So there's some guys like, like David Gonos, uh, was a guy who like, let me write on his site whenever I first, um, started doing things. And obviously I had late round QB.com, um, that I, I just published, published random thoughts that I had, not just about the, the strategy, but other, other strategic things in fantasy football. Um, and I think, you know, what really drove it, I, and I, I say this to a lot of people is, is that like, like you got to write good, good effing. It can, I don't want to say the F word. Okay. So then you. <laughs> I, I like, I want like, like if you write great content, right? Like just write great content. It's going to be noticed. I mean, there are so many instances and so many people that have come through number fire or that I just seen on Twitter or that I've talked to in the industry that you can tell from the beginning that they're pretty good and that they're going to write good content. And that good content really can drive you and just, just push you in so many places. So really to me, it was making sure that the craft and that the content and the actual articles were sound and that they were different. Because it's another thing is that I think a lot of people that are entering the industry think that they can just write uh, rankings articles or something that's just like, I mean, look at what you're doing with reception perception. And it's not so much like it, it's, it's, it's the fact that it's so different, right? It's not just that it's so helpful because it's amazingly helpful, I, but, but it's also so different. It's something we've never seen before. And, and it, the same thing for me, it was, there wasn't a lot written at the time about the strategic side of fantasy football, let alone this idea that while everyone's saying you should draft quarterbacks early, I'm telling you to, to not do that. And, and a lot of people already knew about that strategy. I mean, it was, it was not anything new. It's just no one had published anything like strongly and in depth about it. And it was different. It was something fresh. And I think that's really the key is that you can write so many articles about Matt Jones or or just or just random random player analyses, but I think at the end of the day, what really separates uh, people who end up 
doing something and getting a job in the industry is finding something that you're not just passionate about that's different, but something that that makes sense and is different. So, you know, don't, don't be different just to be different, but come up with something that you know is going to be useful, but also has that differentiation point. Yeah, I think you brought up two important points there. One, definitely the unique content thing is something that I always tell people because, you know, like you pointed out, that's how I came to find my place. And, and that wasn't instantaneous either. That was through like, you know, because when I first started out, yeah, I was doing like power rankings and like weekly previews and right. stu- like stupid stuff. I, I would why never... are they gonna, like, why are like, why are they going to listen to Matt Harmon's power rankings? Right. Like, that's what you need to think about. Like, why the hell would they listen to like, no, I mean, it's, it's the same would go for me would go. for no, anyone. Yeah. Why? And I tell this to, to writers and number fire all the time. It's like when you say things like I feel or I believe like no one cares because no one, no one and that goes for me. It goes for anyone. Like no one cares because you're you're not you're not established yet. You ha- you have to establish yourself and who you are and and what you stand for and back that I believe with something before you can just say it. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's just something. No, that but that's an that is a really good point because yeah, I mean when I started out, it was just some some idiot in his lonely one bedroom apartment in some dingy town and like <laughs> I mean but the, but and that's being drastic about it but it's true like why why the hell would anybody care what i have to say you have to you know you have to prove yourself in order to put like like people you know like elliot harrison at nfl.com like he can do his power rankings and people care because he's been established they know the name stuff like that but yeah for me or like for anybody else that's first starting out it's like why nobody cares about your fantasy football rankings because why the hell should they so no, I think it's a really good point. Um, I think you just gave me the title for the episode. Spoiler alert. Um, but uh, no, that's 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 a good point. And I think it takes time to kind of try and fail at that too. Like, yeah. like you should always be. I think like you should have in your mind like you should be searching for that unique content thing. But you know, take some time and like if you try something out and you're like oh this sucks, like don't worry, then just keep going, keep trying for something yeah. else. Um, but then the second thing that you brought up was about like kind of putting yourself out there, like being aggressive in like in, in trying to get other people to give you opportunities. Like talk, just, I hate to say talk about, but talk a little, talk a little bit about that because I think that's something that people get really nervous about. Like, you know, I, I get to people sometimes that are like, I don't want to bug you or I don't want to like, what's the, what's the line between being annoying, but also like the things you have to do to put yourself out there, like to contact people and make connections like that. Yeah, I mean, think of it this way. So, like, I, I run Number Fire's content business, right? And I will never, ever be upset if someone says, hey, I'm gonna, I want to write content on your website. Because all that means is, I mean, worst case scenario, you're not there yet as a writer or something. And, like, it's not, like, a good fit or whatever. And we just say, you know, it's not a fit. Best case scenario, you come write for Number Fire. This is just an example, obviously. And, and it's great. And you now have a platform to write. Someone who, who owns a website, whether it be small, whether it be big, whether it be, you know, whatever, even if it's a small blog, like someone who, who has that is always going to accept content because content is what's going to drive them more clicks, them more views. So don't be afraid to just approach someone and say, hey, I want to I write this piece of content on your site. And a lot of people, especially if it's a, a newer site, a lot of people are going to be so open to that uh, because it's, it's free content. Well, if they, if you're willing to give it for free, which is what I did uh, yeah. in this case, I mean, the first for a while I was writing for nothing, um, and I, it's important because that's the whole marketing side. You have to you have to establish yourself and you have to get your name out there by by writing that unique content. And unfortunately, that unique content might be for free, um, and so that's kind of the grind where you have to just find these different platforms and just hit up people and don't think that they're going to be. Uh, have a negative reaction to you hitting them up because I mean they want people like you like it, it's it's really something that that you just need you just need the confidence to realize that and then once you do you're going to be able to have a lot of opportunity yeah for sure and I, we all we all wrote for free I mean to yeah. start out like I, I wrote I wrote for a long time for free and just for myself for other people and same with you um, and I think that yeah people get and, and that's another thing too like as you say you know, finding that, like, make your content good. If your, if your stuff is good, if you know it's good, you'll have the confidence to approach people mm-hmm. like that and be like, hey, you should take this. Like, this is, this is good for you. And it's about building that sort of mutual currency, too, because, right. you know, Bloom says this all the time. Like, 
the fact that he like he takes a lot of credit in like discovering other people in the industry and being like because that's important for you as an analyst too like sure. if you were to like one of your number fires like number fire guys like that you found and hired and makes you know they go on and you know they make it or whatever that's big for you too and same thing if if you're out there and you have you know you're new you have good content like people want like people want to find like mentees or whatever or, or that that sort of relationship like you you know you'd be surprised so definitely i think it's important to take to take that chance and, and be aggressive so um how did now for for you again how did like how did this like process of, of carving out this little space with late round quarterback what was kind of the big steps that it took in order to get you to number fire yeah or what yeah. was that that in between period yeah it's a good question so um you know i think I, I think that I realized my niche uh, very early just with the book and stuff because it was so strategy focused and it was more game theory oriented than, than strict player analysis. But I knew I could do player analysis stuff, right? But I knew that I didn't necessarily need to just like push the player analysis strongly because that's something that was just already out there. So um, I just continued, you know, grinding on lateroundqb.com. Every night I'd try to write an article and just get a blog post out there um, and then just get those other opportunities. But then I would say... In, so I published the book in May, uh, and then that next January-ish, uh, so I don't know how many months that would be, like seven, um, I got contacted by Evan Silva at Roto World. And at the time, I mean, Evan Silva and I are really close now, but like at the time, it's like, oh my God, Silva's hitting me up. Yeah. Man. Oh, any t- any, when, when, you're, when you're trying to establish yourself and, and then Silva finds you and starts like reaching out yeah. to you, that's, that's like, ooh, this is, a, this is a turning point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he, so he messaged me uh, and I talked to him on the phone for a little bit. And basically, you know, he was just like, how would you feel about doing a quarterback series on Roto World? Uh, and then, I, you know, obviously I was like, hell yeah, I'm going to do a quarterback series in Roto World. <laughs> I, mean, I, still have, I still have screenshots of my first Roto World article oh, yeah. that was on the homepage and stuff. Because it's just, it's a big deal. And awesome. so... Um, so I did a, a five part series on Roto world, which then I think kind of turned into me, uh, getting noticed a little bit more by Mike Clay, a pro football focus. Um, and then at that point, uh, I did a few articles for PFF. I, I wasn't there super, super long. Cause at the time this, this then went into like, this was in like May. So it's been like a year. Um, but at the time I then got approached by, uh, number fire. Nick is the owner of number fire. Nick actually graduated from the same high school that I did, but seven years prior to when I did. Um, and they were looking for someone that could potentially fill in, uh, an editor role. Um, and you know, I, I was obviously interested because I was still doing my day job, still at an advertising industry or agency, uh, and in the ad industry. And it was just not great. Uh, so interviewed with them, talked to them, and then, you know, it was, it was a cool opportunity because it was with a startup. Um, and then I ended up taking the job. So I, I would say, I would say the two biggest places, you know, Silva giving me that big break at Roto World and then, um, you know, doing some work with Clay and, and the guys at PFF and just like interacting with the guys at PFF and stuff. It wasn't just the fact that like I had this platform, but if you do good content and write great content on those platforms, those people are going to vouch for you moving forward. Then, Like ever since then, Silva and I have built a relationship where like he, he, and, and it's the same for you. You know, I've seen, you know, he tweets things out about how you're so good at evaluating wide receivers, for instance. And it's the same thing when it comes to like strategy stuff for me, like he just trusts it. And when you have that trust and you have that respect, uh, it goes a really long way. So when you build that with a lot of different people, uh, it takes you pretty far. Yeah, that's definitely the key. And, uh, that comes from, that comes from, again, you know, spending the time to, to make good content and earn that trust. Cause it's not, it is, it is not instantaneous. And, uh, but when it happens, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you talked about like how cool that was. Cause that's something that like, for me, like I never want to lose like, and you, I mean, you know how it is. Like you see it in people in our industry, like that are like clearly bitter and jaded and like, not that like nothing like annoys me more than that because like, I still think this is, and I hope to, my point is like, I hope to always think that this is like still the coolest damn thing in the world. Like, right. Right. I, I don't know. It's important not to lose that feeling. And so I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, like you can't, you, it, it, I, I think a lot of it though, if you don't have that feeling, I don't think you're, I, I don't mean to say this in like a harsh way. It's just the best way to phrase it. Maybe you're not doing the right thing in terms of yeah. like what you really want to do. Because th- like if you don't have the excitement every day, you're, you're going to just end up uh, reaching a point like you do with your day job where it's just like, okay, I don't really like this. I'm just going through the motions. 
you can't go through the motions in, the, in this industry because there's so many smart people out there that are just going to bite you and destroy you uh, with, with better content. So that's really like, I think that the excitement like is necessary in order for you to like want to, and, and grind your way to get a job. Totally. It's, it's a key ingredient. I mean, there are, there are several people, you know, that I been, that I think are very prominent in the football analysis world who like, they might not be the greatest analyst. They might, uh, they might have several flaws and I think in their process, but like if they still have that enthusiasm, like that's huge. They'll, they'll be, they'll, they'll, they'll hack it forever. It's the ones that are, even if they're good analysts, if they get jaded, like it's going to show up in your work and yeah, it, yeah. It, re- it reflects in your personality and how you interact with people and all that sort of stuff. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I still like, you know, I work for NFL.com, like, but I still think it's cool that when, like, when somebody like Evan Silva, like, posts something like a blurb on Roto World that says, right. like, um, you know, says something nice about me, like, that's still the coolest shit to me. And, like, yeah, dude, and it, yeah. it, it makes it all worth it. Like, it makes the, you know, the hours of, of charting, you know, some bowling green receivers 400 routes or something, which, by the way, was miserable. Um, <laughs> talking about you, Roger Lewis. Uh, and, like, that makes that worth it. You know, it makes the work worth it. So that is, I'm glad, I'm really glad you brought that up. The other thing that you brought up too, is that I think like, like when people look at analysis, whether it be on a mainstream site or whether it just be anywhere and it's so easy to like destroy analysis, right? Like to disagree with it or to just, just simply like, just think that you can do a better job at it. I think the really, really big thing to understand uh, is that another way to differentiate yourself is not just through your analysis, but to bring something else to the table that someone would want to hire you on full time. So like with me and number fire, I don't think a lot of people realize that like maybe 30% of my job tops is actually writing and doing analysis. Whereas the other 70% is managing writers and making sure that we have a constant content stream going out on the site and growing the content business. Like those are the kind of things that, that, you know, if you have those skills and you have those assets, like that's going to make you a much better candidate and, and to, to get, a particular job, even if even if that job doesn't necessarily say you need to be able to manage seventy writers on this web, just just show that you know how to do that and that you can do other things aside from just the analysis. And I think that goes a long way as well. Yeah, that is that is a really good point. And I will say that like I am the antithesis of that. I, I joke a lot at work like that because Alex Gelhar, my my roommate and like one of yeah. the people that really got me this job like he is without like really having to do that he's really good about like going to bat for our team and like managing things and like you know doing that sort of like manager like the politics of it all yeah yeah and I suck at that like I'm and I have because I have just like it's not my personality it's, yeah. I have no interest in that I joke all the time that like I, I joke all the time like I'm like no man I, I was like I just want I'm just here to write I'm just here to write and talk yeah. about football like that's what I that's what I'm here to do right, like right. but at the same time and I say that I also realize that I'm putting like a like a glass an artificial glass ceiling on my career, <laughs> market like marketability skills because I don't because I won't do the politics stuff. But it's really important that you brought that up because that is again something that I don't do. Yeah, and and it goes it goes like in in multiple areas too. Like it's not even necessarily like, oh I understand the business side more. I, I think that a lot of it's like like people trash Matthew Berry like like crazy. Like we all know that people just love to trash Matthew Berry, but. What Matthew Berry does is he's so good at, at so many things, like being on TV, doing podcasts, like that kind of stuff is not easy to do. Like try to, I mean, we're starting to do a little bit of video on number fire and stuff. And like, just like recording myself talking to a, a little circle, a little camera, like it's awkward as hell. And like, it's yeah. not easy to do. It's not easy to host a podcast. It's not easy to do all these different things. And when you can, ca- can capture that into one person, that's market, that's the, you're marketing yourself brilliantly then. Yeah, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do too. Like we did, like we did a we did a Dave Damashek's like show, which is you know they broadcast like they stream on the website, they you know stream via YouTube and stuff like that. But it's shot like you know in the podcast studio, but it's shot with like real cameras. And I right. remember the first time that he invited me up there, like you know I thought it was just gonna be a podcast, and I sit down there and they start like putting cameras on. I'm like, well, what the hell is this? Like because right. it's you think it's like oh well you're just videotaping yourself like yeah. talking about football but it's like no like because you got to look the right place and like yes. like <laughs> kind of the first time it was so weird and but it but that's it but it's important like the the best people aren't just writers and and you can see that people want that like they want their analysts to be multi-platform functional because 
that's what it's all about. Like everybody's moving towards videos and, Mm -hmm. you know, short little like, you know, social media clips, that sort of stuff. So you're right. Being, being multifaceted like that is super important. Even if it's just beyond like business, that is, that is a a key thing there. Um, So, yeah, no, I think that, I think that was a lot of really good stuff. That's, that's sort of off the cuff thing I like because I didn't have to make those questions. Um, But so I kind of want to circle back again to, to like so so at number fire you are kind of managing people you're you're doing you're wearing a lot of different hats um does that ever do you ever think that like interferes with your thought like your writing process or 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 your own self as an analyst i guess um i i think it's actually you know i i've thought about this a lot because um like i said my days are not just strictly writing it is more so during football season like in season stuff i would say but you know off season um you know, I think about it a lot, but at the same time, I think it allows my brain to kind of be recharged and not have to feel so on all the time. Uh, so I can, I can allow myself to kind of relax and do more of the background stuff. Um, and, and it's kind of nice to be honest. Um, but you know, whenever it, it also allows me to focus on, cause like, if you think about like in season content versus off season content, like off season might be, draft related or it might like the stuff that we do at number fire, for instance, it would be um, draft related, but at a, a bird's eye view, not necessarily just, just player analysis, but it would be like, Hey, what do like, why do first round running backs suck? Um, but, or it would be, or it'd be uh, strategy focused in terms of fantasy football. Like why did the running backs last year suck so bad? Um, so, but those, those kind of articles are a lot more difficult to write and to research for. So it kind of is nice because it allows me to have that time to research while like we're a little bit dead, let's say, and when it comes to like the content that's going up on our site or that writers aren't that engaged or whatever. So I'm, I'm able to then do some of that data mining and that research um, and take it a little bit slower rather than doing it in season. It's almost impossible to like create something that's uh, super, super unique because, you know, you got to get out the start sits, you got to get out the, the waiver wire stuff. So I, you know, I, I kind of like it. it. I don't think it really gets in the way. I think if anything, it, it helps me because it keeps my mind pretty fresh. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. Um, now, this is the thing I really wanted to talk with you about, um, this, this part of it. And, and it's a two-part question. I, I don't want to think about it the same way. But first part, so, you know, late-round quarterback, like you said, when it was coming out of the scene, it was kind of like a, a sort of contrarian sort of strategy, like something that people weren't really doing. How did you go about like defending that stance? Because and I, because I remember like seeing, especially about like tight ends and Gronkowski, like defending. Uh-huh. Uh, like I, I, I'm not like talking about. I know we. I talked about this off the cuff. I'm not talking about like taking, you know, like t- taking criticism or whatever. I'm talking about more like when you have an opinion that like even most other analysts don't agree with. How do you go about like constantly defending that? and not taking it personal that sort of thing yeah i mean i think that i think that you kind of have to take it personal like so like people people talk about trolls all the time they're like yeah just ignore the trolls right but at the same time there's someone behind that computer that's like doing that like that's a human being that's like regardless of how how big of a dick that person's being like it's still a person and, and it's just my personality to like not not prove someone wrong but but allow someone to see what I have to say about a certain topic. So it's like, you know, like the, the Bortles, like this Blake Bortles thing that happened like a month or two ago where I was just talking about like, you know, Blake Bortles isn't, isn't as good as what people think because they look at his touchdown numbers and they're like, Oh, Blake Bortles threw for 35, threw 35 touchdowns. He must be good. And, and there was a Jags fan that kind of came at me and was like kind of arguing with me about it. And I went back and forth with him a little bit. I think the key with all of that though, is that it's fine to get in those arguments. And I, I think it's, I think it's healthy to, to get in those arguments. I think that the one thing to remember, though, is that don't go don't go into them without facts. Uh, so you know, like I had so much ammunition with with the the late round quarterback stuff, with the the drafting tight ends early stuff, um, and it was a lot easier for me with that ammuni- with that ammunition to just kind of have these arguments because I could just look at a spreadsheet and just start throwing numbers out that I knew were unique that no one else really had because I was doing something that was a little bit at the time, you know, it's a lot less unique now, but at the time it was more unique, like talking about, you know, how many top 12 and top 24 weeks certain running backs and wide receivers had, or how many, how many startable weeks a quarterback or tight end had, 
Like no one was doing those weekly things at the time. And that's all over the place now. I, I totally get it. But it, it's those like small, small data points uh, that, that I think can really drive home your own personal argument. And then if you do it in a way that at least, you know, in the heat of the moment, you might sound like a dick and someone might look at you and say like, oh, you're an asshole. But at the end of it, as long as like, you know, you just, you give them some love, give, give the other person a little bit of love. And, you know, that shows whoever's been following that conversation. Because I've, I've done it with Bloom a ton. Like Bloom and I, I like I'm, I'm super tight with, with Sigmund, but like, we don't agree on a lot when it comes to fantasy football or, or we haven't in the past. And like, it's not, so, so when we go back and forth on Twitter, it's not really, it, you know, some of it is to like generate content so people can see what's kind of going on in our brains. Uh, but at the same time, uh, when it's all said and done, there's always mutual respect and just love. Right. And, and, and as long as you show that at the end, uh, people aren't going to hate on you. You know, they're not going to, to, some people might look at it and be like, oh, this guy's a huge dick. He's probably arrogant because of the way that he's going about this, this argument and stuff. But that's not really what it, what, what I'm doing it for or anything. It's really just to, to get my opinion out there, to get my, my voice heard on this particular subject, because if there's not passion behind it, then why are you doing it? Yeah, that is. It's a great point. Um, one of the things you talked about up at the top, and I, I liked this, like the whole don't feed the trolls thing. And I guess for me, and maybe you feel the same way about this, like, I don't know, I tend to, I, I don't like, like if somebody called, like if somebody's like, you're a douche, like this opinion's wrong, I'm probably not going to like interact with you. Yeah, but yeah. like, if, if somebody disagrees with me, like the one thing I hate, like another thing, I talk about a lot of things I hate. So but one thing I really hate is like when an analyst or like, like people that talk like down to their audience, you know, that's the thing, like you said, that like there's a person on the other side of the computer and I'm just another idiot that likes football, you know, as much as you're just another idiot that likes football. Like I don't ever want to get to the point where I'm like, Hey, I think this. And like, if you don't think this, you're wrong, you know? So that sort of thing. And also like just not being willing to convey your opinion. Like if you think it, you should defend it. If somebody, if somebody vehemently disagrees with you to the point that it seems like they're trolling, like I I never want to be to the point where I don't want to, I want to, you know, I want to explain myself to that person. I want them to like, hope not, like you said, it's not proving them wrong, but like get to the point where you can have like a legitimate conversation and exchange thoughts on that and have that sort of mutual dialogue. Yeah. Cause, cause I think that at the end of the day, like, like I think anything that you do, whether it's for a living or just like a hobby or something, you're doing it out of passion for that. Right. And yeah. that that's where like that comes from on Twitter. Like I'm, I'm like, the least confrontational per- human being on this earth. Like it, it's insane. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person that I get the wrong dish sent out to me at a restaurant. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to eat this. Like it's not, like, <laughs> like, it's, it, it just, it doesn't matter enough. But like when it comes to like the, the fantasy football stuff and, and that, I think that it's just, you know, I, I feel very strongly uh, about my opinions. It's not like I'm closed minded when it comes to fantasy stuff. I mean, like I, I think Devonte Freeman's good and I hated him last year. Yeah. Uh, but like, like, I, I think that, like, there's this passion that drives, and I think that what goes with that passion um, is it's not a monetary incentive whatsoever. It's nothing like that. It's So I was having this conversation with a buddy earlier today, and I don't know how it got brought up and stuff, but um, we were talking about, you know, Vince Gilligan, the uh, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul writer. Like, he's the, the brainchild of, of all of that, right? And what's amazing about Vince Gilligan is, I mean, he's a genius, right? He's an absolute genius. But what we get to see when we watch a show like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul is we get to like see inside his brain, right? We get to we get to think and project like what we think is going to happen in the show. But that's all the brainchild from him. That's that's all that's all coming from him. And I think that what people should aspire to, and if they they, they should have this feeling inside of them, where I guarantee you, someone like Vince Gilligan is so in love with the fact that people are watching his shows to try to pick, to, to try to see and predict what his brain is going to do and what he's going to say and how he's going to frame things. And I think it's the same thing for us where like, I want people to and it, like, like your reception perception stuff with the rookies that you just published yesterday. You know, it's people are waiting for that. They're on the edge of their seat waiting for that to come out. And they want to, they want to think what is Matt going to say about uh, Tyler Boyd and what, what is like, what, how is, how is he going to frame up these wide receivers? And it's the same way, like I have a 15 transactions column that I write every Tuesday on number fire. 
And, and that's where I like, I brain vomit, right? That's, that's my place where I can just like, this is exactly what I would be doing in fantasy football. If, if like, no matter what my roster looked like, like who's, here's who I'm going to buy, sell, so on and so forth. I want people, and I, and it's a the, the, the biggest joy is when people are messaging you, like wondering when that's going to be published. Oh, right. Yeah. And that's the, that's the passion part where like, you're so, you're, you're so passionate about it, not just because of like what you're producing individually, but how it impacts other people. And like, like to me, it's their way. And trust me, I'm not saying that I'm even close to like Vince Gilligan status or anything like that, because like that's, that's the most absurd thing that I would ever say about myself. But like, even if there's three people like that, that are thinking about what you're going to be publishing in that post and thinking of thinking about it when it's when you're working on it and when it's not like an active thing going on, that's, that's the kind of stuff that should drive you. And that's the kind of stuff that drives me. And that's where the, the passion really comes from. So when I go to Twitter and I'm, and I'm arguing about these things, I'm talking about like Blake Bortles, for instance, I think that's really where like, like I want people to kind of see the thought process and then latch onto that and be like, Oh, maybe that's uh, that, that or say like, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And then from there, uh, latch on to the other stuff that I'm writing and be one of those people that are waiting for these articles to be published and stuff. Cause that's really the coolest part about what we do. I think. Yeah, I agree. That's always a really good feeling. And one of the things that I think is building up, up that audience, that trust with your audience and not be, again, I can't say this enough. I feel like I say it every episode, but I should just don't be a jerk. Like just don't yeah, be a jerk yeah. to people. Be nice to your audience. They're important people. Like that's without the audience, we're just a couple of idiots like screaming into the wind. So right. it, it is really important. And I think that when you build up that trust, that's when you get like readers that are like, Hey, JJ, where's the 15 transaction articles? Like right. Matt, when are you going to post this person's reception perception? Like, you know, they, like you said, they want, not to the degree of like Vince Gilligan or any of those actually important people, but like, <laughs> right. But to a degree where they're like, we want, we, they want to get inside our brains. They want to know what we're going to say next because it benefits them, you know, for fantasy football and all that sort of stuff. But also just because it's, it's really cool too. When you get somebody that tells you like, wow, your data backs up exactly what I saw, or, you know, I thought this way, like, like JJ liked this player. I like this player that it makes them feel good. And also like when you build up a good audience, you cultivate a good group of readers that trust you and respect you. The ones that like, oh, wow, I saw this player doing this on film, but you don't like them for this, that, and the other reason. Like that, when they want to have a dialogue about that and like, or they, they're like, wow, that, ma- that makes me want to go back and relook things. It feels good as an analyst when you, when you cultivate that kind of, you know, response instead of like, wow, you don't like Tyler Boyd. Like, you know, you're an idiot, you know, you're, you know, piss off that sort of stuff. So, and, and like treating your audience that way, you get that sort of response. And like you said, that is, that's like the coolest. That's still, again, one of those things. It's like the coolest feeling. In the world. Yeah, and, and like to that point too, like as long as you're showing your work, you're going to limit the amount of trolls, the amount of negative things that yes. come your way. Like that, that's the, the, like if I get a writing sample from someone that wants to write from number fire and they write something like Travis Kelsey was good last year without any other context. Like I don't want him to write for our site because that's not that you can't do that. You can't just assume that that's a thing because there's a lot of data that backs up maybe otherwise. Like you have to show your work and when you show your work, that's when, because showing your work is essentially showing people what's going on in your brain, right? right. Like that's, that's like when, when you're writing about reception perception, it's not like you're just pasting that table. Like you went in depth about these, these prospects and you talked about them and, and what you saw. And when you, when you show that work, that's when people respect you even more. Yeah, for sure. And I always tell people like, I think that you see a lot of people complain about trolls on Twitter or taking heat and stuff like that. And, and that happens. But at the same time, I really think that you create the experience that you have yeah. and being like being a type of person like that shows your work and takes the time to engage with readers and not just be like, Nope, I saw this on film and that's it. And boom, like, right. but the, you know, but the, but the writers that have a process and show that out, you don't just, it just, you see that it happens like you don't take as as much heat but so kind of coming on that though like when you do take heat because I've seen I've seen several times and it's usually with young quarterbacks like Blake Bortles or Derek Carr like yeah yeah, you mean how Oakland hates me the whole (laughs) 
the whole city up there like there's i haven't gone up to oakland since i moved out to california but i'm sure there's like a you know videos of them like toppling a statue of you or something like that you know so but so when when it does get to that point where you know it gets it gets hard to deal with how how does how does how do you how do you go about dealing with that yeah that's a good question i think i mean i would be lying if i said that i i never got like riled up to the point where like i was like shook a little bit by like what by like what happens on twitter and stuff like i think that i'm only you know i'm only human like you you hear certain things said about you or like whatever like it pisses me off it's very hard to hear sometimes um but like you know, with like the Derek Carr stuff. So like, you know, I wrote an article last off season at like wondering if Derek Carr was the real future of the Oakland Raiders. Right. And unfortunately for me, the first eight games of 2015, he lit up the league. Like he was, he was great. I mean, fortunately, then fortunately for me, he, he slowed down his pace over the second half, but I think it's just like, like, it's not like I'm writing that article to spite anyone. I, I'm, I'm literally showing, like, what the data says and what I saw and stuff like that in these articles. Um, and then if you realize that you're incorrect about that, just say that you're incorrect about that. Like, that's, that's really what stopped the Derek Carr hate. Even the even, – so this is actually even, even, even worse probably than Derek Carr stuff. So I live in Charlotte, as you know, and, and like, I – I, I love the Panthers. It's, it's an easy team to root for. I'm a Steeler fan because I'm born and raised in Pittsburgh, but there's no reason to, to hate on the Panthers. Um, and I wrote an article after week five talking about how Cam Newton was not the MVP. And, and when I did that, when I did that, and the thing that the problem is, is that if you look at what he did through week five, he was not the MVP, right? Like, it, like you can name probably five or six other quarterbacks that were performing at a higher level than Cam Newton. The problem was after like quite literally after I wrote that article, Cam Newton was the MVP of the league by far, and it wasn't really close. And so when I wrote that article, like I had some people tell me that I was being racist and stuff, which was unfortunate. But, you know, it gets to the point then where you just have to show people that like, look, it's fine. Like I was incorrect. Like this is, I felt that at that time, but I've sent multiple tweets out since then. And and I've said, Cam Newton deserves to win the MVP. Like Cam Newton was the best quarterback this season. It's not that that's fine. And the same thing with Derek Carr, like, I sent a tweet out and I said, look, I'm, I apologize if this ruined any part of your life, but Derek Carr is fine. He's not a, he's not a bad quarterback. It's, it's, it's fine. Like it, it, no one, like no one needs to have hurt feelings over this analysis that I did because you're, it, it just doesn't matter enough at all. Um, and, and I think that at the end of the day, the other thing too, is as an analyst, you're never going to get better if you can't understand where you went wrong. Like Devonte Freeman last year, hated Devonte Freeman going into last year. I was on team Tevin. And then, Devontae Freeman is now probably a top five running back in the NFL. And, you know, I, I look back and I say, okay, I was really wrong about Devontae Freeman and I will openly tweet about being wrong about Devontae Freeman. But I think that it's important to do that because once you open yourself up to that criticism of yourself, you can go back and you can look at why you went wrong on Devontae Freeman. And I personally, it, for me, it was just, just writing off rookie running backs who didn't perform well year one. Like that's, that's really, that's really what it came down to and not like factoring in, what can change and how it can change. Um, so, I, you know, I think those kind of things, just being open to being wrong is the number one thing. And that's how you avoid, um, if you're not stubborn, you're going to avoid the constant trolling from those fan bases. Yeah. I think that is really important when you're wrong, just say it like, say and it. you'd be surprised that like, if you just, if you're just, you know, don't take yourself seriously. Like don't die on, but like Eric Stoner says, don't die on bad take Hill. Like right. just, <laughs> when it's when 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 you're wrong you're wrong and and this industry like i don't know how anybody like maintains like arrogance in this industry i mean we're all a little arrogant because we're writers and that's mm-hmm. the like you have to have some of that but like to be so arrogant that it, it it's painful because this 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 stuff will humble you quickly and nothing nothing pisses off a fan more than when they come at you thinking that they're going to piss you off by saying like hey remember that analysis that you were completely incorrect about and then yeah. you're just like yeah yep. i was wrong and then they just shut up because they don't know how to read. And they're like, like sometimes they thank you. Like, yeah. that's, it's incredible. Like they're coming at you trying to destroy you and make your life miserable. And then you just say something that they didn't expect you to hear. And then all of a sudden it's done. So Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I say it's weird. I'm being facetious when I say that. But it's weird that like if you respond to negativity with positivity, how oftentimes negativity does not come back at you like but if yeah. you're negative back to their negativity there's going to be more negativity and i don't understand how people are then like 
I don't know why everybody's being so mean to me on Twitter. It's like probably because you're acting like an idiot. But yeah, you're being an asshole. Pretty, you know, you're being an asshole. It's pretty simple. Don't be an asshole. Just that's that's one of the themes of this podcast. Please yes. don't be. But um, so last thing I, I want to talk about, and and this kind of comes back again to not taking yourself too seriously, like. You are very well known on Twitter for like for being like you're 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 you have a fun account. I'll say like you know okay. like you with the Jeff Fisher gifts and everything right. like that. Why is why is that important to you? Like I you know I talked about last episode with Waldman like having the the ability to not just be like a robot that tweets about football 140 characters at a time. Like why is that important to you? Either relating to your audience or just you as a as a person. Um, I think that the best way to, 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 for me to phrase it is, I, I mean, how can I take what I do all that serious when I'm writing about a game about a game, right? Like, I, like how, how is this a real thing? And so, like, like, like I said, like, a lot of my job is still, like, very business-related and, like, growing content and stuff like that. But what people see is not that. So I don't need to pretend that people need to see that. What they see is I'm an analyst, I'm a, fo- I'm a fantasy football analyst more specifically, and if I take that super seriously, like that's really, really weird uh, because it's fantasy football at the end of the day. So, you know, the stuff with like Jeff Fisher and, and like the stuff that we do on living on the living the stream podcast and stuff like I think that that's a way to not only differentiate yourself, but it connects you with your readers and it connects you with your followers. It allows them to see that like like I would love to go to a bar and just have a beer with you like that, that's that's all I, that's. That's who I am. That's what I do. My weekends are Netflix and going to breweries. Like that is, that's, that's my life. Like I'm, I'm not, it's not like, it's not like I'm anything different. It's not like I need to be anything different when I'm on Twitter, just because it's some sort of platform where this precedence has been set where you have to be somewhat professional. Um, I, I think that you need to have fun. And I think that, that, that the only way that you can really in this day and age, at least, continue to grow within this industry is to just be a human being on Twitter and have fun with it. Uh, Yeah, I I completely agree. And I think sometimes we as analysts forget that to our audience, this is to our readers, like this is, this is a release. This is fun. This is an escape from, from the doldrums of their day job or their kids or, you know, whatever. And when you also approach it as this is a release for me and I get to have fun that it endears yourself. I mean, it, it, you know, you got to be serious. You got to like grind and work hard and produce good content. Cause that's what they want. That's what your job is. But at the same time, like, yeah, like you said, it's a game, like it's a game. This is, it's still like, we've been talking about this it's still like the coolest thing in the world to get to do this. And, and it, it you know, we're conveying that is really important. So that's definitely something I, I wanted to have you touch on, but um I think we'll probably wrap it up there unless there's anything else you want to say or convey to the, to the listeners or, or anything like that. No, man. I, I just, I, I think this podcast is awesome. I think that, you know, people, it, it, to me, the, the one thing I will say is to me, there's not one path that people should take because if you follow the same path that someone else did, then you're just being that person. You need to be right. and find your own unique path. So, you know, while we have these tips for people and we're, you know, we're talking about our journey I think that you take little bits of these journeys and you try to create your own. And that's, that's what's really important when you're, when you're trying to, to get a job, especially in this industry. Yeah, totally. I mean, even just the, the advice, the stories, the, the lessons to learn from, I think the first three episodes have been wildly different. I mean, sort of some similar themes, but that's why, you know, that's why it's, it's great to have all you guys come on and talk because I think that everybody has a story to tell. Everybody has something to convey. And the fact that, I, it's it's great for me. I get to I get to like get to know some people more, and 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 I learn a lot too. I feel like from all you guys, so it, it's definitely I'm I'm glad people are enjoying the podcast. So um, again, JJ, I want to thank you for coming on. This was great. You can find JJ's work on Number Fire, and you can follow him on Twitter at Late Round Quarter Late Round QB. Right? I got that. I got yes. that right. Okay, good. Yeah, that would be embarrassing. Um, but anyway, so for you guys, I never, I never close out the show. I forget this because I'm not because I'm new at this whole podcast thing. But uh, definitely, yeah, make sure to check out JJ's uh, Living the Stream podcast too. That's one of my favorite listens during every week during the season and then the off season. Like he and he and Denny have a great like they they have a lot of fun doing it. It's a lot of fun listening. Clearly, it's it's one of it's it's great. I love it. But um, you know, it it definitely exemplifies that have fun. Don't take yourself seriously. Like this is a, this is a cool thing. So, um, and for all you guys listen to the show again, you know, thank you so much. You can subscribe to the show 
on iTunes or Stitcher. And it would really be great if you can like rate and review the podcast. That's the thing I always forget to tell people because that is important apparently. So things have been great. I'm really appreciating the audience and everything that's going on. Um, hopefully uh, there's an intro song. I hope that actually worked this episode. So we'll see. Um, I'm still looking to get the sound quality better and everything like that. So again, any feedback, please let me know. But I've rambled on enough here. So again, I want to thank you guys for listening and I hope you learned something today.